guys can have a seat. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, if you're not aware. And uh, for the 65th year in a row, my team, the Detroit Lions, is not playing in the championship game. And since I'm not 65 years old just yet, that means never in my life have I ever seen my team even play in the championship game, let alone win a championship. Yet every year I have hope. (laughs) Every year I watch football for the whole season. Why? Why subject myself to the pain and the agony? History says that, that my team doesn't win championships. My team doesn't even play in Super Bowls. My team barely makes it to the playoffs at all. But I keep watching anyway because I have hope that things can change, right? Now, a little bit of history. Matthew Stafford was drafted by the Lions number one overall in 2009. So he played for the the Detroit Lions for 12 years. And in those 12 years, he took the team to the playoffs three times and lost three times. Last year, the Lions traded him to the Rams, And the Rams not only made the playoffs in his first year there, not only did they play in the same number of playoff games he's been in for the entire career leading up to that point, but he won all three this time, and he's actually playing in the Super Bowl tonight. Stafford, he's already appeared in the same number of playoff games in one year with the Rams than he did in 12 years with my team. Um, And this time he he won all three, he got to the Super Bowl. And, And people ask me, Uh, who I'm rooting for tonight in the Super Bowl. Like, you know, Cincinnati, right? Because I grew up in Detroit and it's really close. And in most years, that would be true. I mean, I I got nothing against the Bengals. I think that's a great story. I I actually feel a little bit of kinship with the story of the Bengals, right? Although they've been to the Super Bowl much more recently than my team. But, But not this year because, man... People don't get it. Like the, 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 throughout the nation, everybody's, everybody's like, oh man, Detroit fans must be so angry. We're not. This is, Eminem's performing at halftime and Matt Stafford is the, is Stafford's the quarterback. This is the closest Detroit's gonna be to a Super Bowl in a long time. <laughs> I grew up six miles away from Eminem. I don't know if you, know, if you knew that. So, so even though things never seem to change for the Lions, uh, things did change in a hurry for Matthew Stafford once he left the Lions. Um, and, and so there is, it is possible that things can change. So even this in a warped way gives me hope for the future, right? And, and listen, we're almost halfway through the month of February, believe it or not. We're six weeks into 2022. And I know that we've all been hoping for some changes. Um, we're hoping for changes in the pandemic so we can get closer to normal uh, and feel safe again. Uh, we're hoping for changes in the weather Uh, After the snow that we got last week, I feel like most people I talk to are kind of done with winter. Um, We're we're hoping for changes in our own lives, uh, kind of desperately clinging to our last few New Year's resolutions about eating healthier or exercising more, right? But we're also facing the reality that people face every year in the month of February. It's the reality of February that it's really hard to change. It's really hard. We can make all the resolutions we want. We can decide to change all the things we want, but it's really hard to change. It's hard to stick to a diet or a Bible reading plan or a commitment to get up early in the morning and and work out. 
it's way easier to fall back into our, our comfortable habits and just hope that the change we want just kind of like happens by miracle, right? And so it's easy to wonder, especially this time of year, especially uh, here in February, it's easy to wonder if change is really possible at all. Can people change is a question I think that, that we've all asked at, at one time or another, whether it's about myself, like can I do that? Can I make that change? Or someone around me, um, is it possible? Will they ever change? Is it even possible? Um, and, and look, we've been looking into the life of Jacob from the book of Genesis throughout this series in our, in our anti-hero series from Genesis for about five weeks. And so far, there just is not very much evidence that Jacob can change or that Jacob even wants to change. Jacob so far seems to be comfortable in his own skin as kind of this manipulating, lying trickster, right? And, and, and he just, throughout his life to this point, he's, he's intentionally or unintentionally just kind of hurt the people around him uh, in order to get ahead for himself. Um, and, and he, you know, he's done all these things. And then we see th- these last couple of weeks, we see that he kind of has met his match in Laban. You know, he goes to live with Laban uh, and, and man, his father-in-law, Laban becomes his father-in-law, um, kind of gave him a taste of his own medicine, right? He, he tricked him into working twice as long as he agreed uh, in order to, to marry the girl of his dreams. Um, and, and like while we're at it, he tricked him into like marrying his other daughter also. So, you know, he t- took, you know, two for one deal. And, and surprise, surprise, he's, he's the, the head of all this family drama, Right, that, that we saw last week as his, his wives compete for his attention by having a whole bunch of kids. Um, never a great plan, uh, but that's the plan. And, and God showed up and, and made the same promise to Jacob that he made to his grandfather Abraham. God reiterated the promise from Genesis 12. He promised him a land, you know, a promised land, a people, a great nation. Uh, he promised prosperity and protection. Uh, my Old Testament pro- professor used to call that the four Ps of the promise. Uh, a place, a people, prosperity, and protection that God promised uh, to, to Abraham. And then God reiterates his promise to Jacob. And we're like, man, why Jacob? You know, this guy's not great. <laughs> you know, he doesn't seem to be a great guy. But, but it seems, and it seems as we look at Jacob that he's just destined to fail, that he's, he's just destined to not live up to God's plan for his life, uh, to, that, you know, the promise is going to fail because of, because of Jacob, right? He can't seem to stop hurting the people around him. He can't get out of his own way, he, and, and he can't, you know, put anybody first but himself. And it seems like Jacob will just never change, you know, there, there's nothing in this story so far to indicate that Jacob is going to change and embrace what God wants for him. But as we see throughout scripture, what seems impossible for us is possible with God. And so we're going to pick up Jacob's story today in Genesis chapter 30, in the last half of, of Genesis 30. Uh, and the story we're going to look at highlights a number of things that Jacob had to learn in order to embrace the change that God was calling him to make to become the person that God was calling him to be. And mainly, Jacob had to learn that God will do the changing if we stop getting in the way and and embrace the change God is making. See, a lot of this, Jacob is forcing the issue. Jacob, you know, Jacob hears that, that, you know, that the younger, the younger one is going to get the inheritance. And so he goes and makes it happen and he does it his way. But, but Jacob has to learn to stop forcing the issue and let God make the change, and then it can stick. He, he didn't do everything right. Uh, he still messed up quite a bit along the way. But this story today is a turning point 
for Jacob. And, and there's a lot we can learn from the way this story goes for Jacob today about change, uh, about how can we change, how can we become more like what God wants from us. So we're going to walk through it together. Uh, in Genesis chapter 30, we're going to start in verse 25. Um, and this is long, so we're going to kind of go piece by piece uh, and, and kind of talk through some things that we see. So after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, remember that's where we, we left off, the, the, you know, Rachel and Leah uh, having all these kids, and we, we leave off with Rachel has uh, a kid finally, she has a baby, she has Joseph. After she gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. No kidding. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. Uh, But now, when may I do something for my own household? So all this time, you know, Jacob's worked 14 years. All this time, Jacob's been working in order to to gain the right to marry Rachel. He hasn't really built anything for himself. He's just been working uh, for Laban for 14 years. And he finally finished his his commitment for Rachel. So he wants to take his family and go home. And and, and Laban has been using him all this time for his own advantage. Uh, He used him to marry off uh, both of his daughters. He used him to get 14 years worth of free labor. Um, And I I would imagine Laban's not thrilled about losing that arrangement. This seems like a good arrangement for him so far. Uh, And and he's he's come to believe that God has blessed him with wealth because of Jacob, which, you know, is true. Uh, and he doesn't want that to end. So, so Jacob asks for his wives and his children and his freedom. Uh, but Laban ignores what Jacob asks for and focuses on wages. He's like, all right, we, we, can, we can find a deal. You know, everybody's got a price, right? So what is it? What do I got to pay you for you to, to stick around, for you to stay? He didn't exactly say no. To, he didn't say, Jacob, you can't go. Uh, but he didn't say yes either. Uh, he, he just kind of did, did what he does and manipulated the situation for his own advantage. And, and so before Jacob could embrace the change that God wanted to bring into his life, through some of these circumstances with Laban, he has to learn that life isn't always fair. That life doesn't always work out in your benefit. Now, to this point, Jacob kind of like had like taken the bull by the horns and forced the issue to make life work out for his benefit, but it doesn't always happen that way. Life isn't always fair, but God is always good. Laban tricked him. He lied to him. He manipulated him. He took advantage of him. He held back things that rightfully belonged to him. It was unfair. It was unfair that he had to work 14 years for Rachel when he agreed to a deal for for seven years. It was unfair that Laban profited from his work, uh, but Jacob didn't share in the profits. And sometimes life just isn't fair. Bad people prosper. Good people suffer. The Bible is filled with that reality. 
And, you know, and people asking God, why? Why does this happen? Why do, why do bad people get ahead while good people suffer? Um, why does it happen? And, and I, some of it has to do with the fact that the world is broken by the sin that you know, we brought into it. Um, but that's just the reality of it. Sometimes this happens. Life isn't always fair. What Laban did to Jacob wasn't fair. But God still blessed Jacob with a big family, with a, a safe place to live. After, remember, Jacob had treated Esau pretty much the same way Laban treated him. I mean, Jacob had perpetrated unfairness on someone else. So it's not like he was an innocent bystander. Uh, But we like to think we are, right? That when life isn't fair, we don't think about the stuff we've done to other people. We just think about like, how could this happen? How could you let this happen to me? Well, I think we all participate in the unfairness at times, right? Jacob didn't deserve God's blessing. He didn't deserve God's protection, but God promised it anyway. Even Laban's tricks and manipulation and lies, even that stuff couldn't get in the way because life isn't fair, but God is good. So back to the story. What shall I give you? Laban asked. Don't give me anything, Joseph replied. We like that, right? Don't give me anything, but if you'll do this one thing for me, He says, I don't want your charity, but do this. I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty, (laughs) really, (laughs) my honesty will testify for me in the future whether you check on the wages Uh, Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted or any lamb that's not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you've said. (laughs) That same day, he removed, Laban removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark colored lambs and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban agrees to Jacob's proposal. He agrees to give him part ownership uh, of the flock, uh, that the, the an, you know, uh, these certain kind of animals would belong to him. Uh, it would have the potential that he could increase his share as time goes on because animals have babies. Uh, so Jacob gets all the goats that aren't fully black Uh, the ones who are speckled or spotted, and he gets all the sheep that aren't fully white, uh, the ones that are, you know, speckled or spotted or dark colored, right? And and most uh, shepherd, this wasn't wasn't unusual, by the way, there were shepherd contracts in the ancient world, and most of them would designate a a share between like 10 and 20% of the flock and the the products that the, you know, the milk or whatever the animals produce, 10%, 12, 15, uh, 20 would be kind of high to the shepherd working the flock. But dark and spotted animals uh, typically would have represented a, a pretty uh, significantly smaller percentage than that. Um, ten, it would be unusual for 10% of the flock to, to have this kind of genetic, not abnormality so much, but it was unusual. Uh, so on the surface, Laban is getting a better deal. Um, already with it, Jacob's terms, Laban's like, oh, well, I mean, that's okay. You know, he asked for less than, you know, this kind of the standard 10% agreement. Um, but even that wasn't good enough for Laban uh, because he always has to kind of like turn things to his advantage. So he tilts the odds even more in his favor by removing 
all the animals in the flock that already were there that were speckled or spotted or, or dark before Jacob took over. So he doesn't, he's not like separating them out to hold on to them for Jacob and be all nice and like that they're sorted ahead of time. He separates them, gives them to his sons and sends them three days away. So, so Jacob doesn't have access to them at all. He, he separated them to rip Jacob off. He figures, you know, if he removes them from the gene, peel, the gene pool, he can reduce the number of the young animals that will eventually belong to Jacob. Uh, and, and he'll come out with more. He's going to limit what Jacob can make, and he's going to kind of maximize what he can make. And as this situation plays out, Jacob learns that integrity matters. That integrity matters to God. Now, Jacob hasn't been the model of integrity to this point, uh, but from this point on, you remember, remember Jacob set up part of the arrangement so that Laban could check on, his own, on Jacob's honesty. Like, you could come and see for yourself whether I'm being honest or not. So Jacob starts to build in an integrity piece himself. Uh, now, Laban, you know, not so much with the integrity, but Jacob is starting to become the man that, that God is calling him to be. But by, by building in this honesty piece, by committing to this honesty piece uh, with Laban, uh, so, so Laban can tell if he's trying to lie or trick him. Now, he didn't have to do that. Laban asked, what do you want? What do you want to stay? Jacob could have set, you know, any terms. And that doesn't mean Laban would have agreed, but Jacob could have set any terms. He could have come up with a scheme to cheat Laban. He's fairly good at coming up with schemes, we've seen. Uh, he could have taken his family and run away, just, just gone anyway. Um, and, and, you know, regardless of what Laban said, he could have stolen uh, things from Laban, could have stolen some of the, the sheep, some of the flocks for himself on his way out. Um, he could have, probably the easiest thing he could have, do, he could, could have done is just been lazy. Um, he could have come to this agreement uh, for working for Laban and just not worked real hard, you know, just kind of taken it easy and, and been lazy. But he doesn't do any of those things. Um, he dealt with Laban honestly, even when, when Laban cheated him. And there's a lot of talk right now about culture in the workplace, uh, about, about what should and shouldn't happen and what's fair and not fair uh, at work. And of course, we all want to work in a place where we're valued uh, and where we're treated fairly. Everyone wants that. That's, that's important. But unfortunately, there are people like Laban all over the place. And a lot of them end up in charge, don't they? A lot of Labans end up in charge. But when you're treated unfairly, it doesn't give you the right to respond the same way. See, Jacob tried that, and it hasn't been working out super well for him lately. Integrity means being consistent. No matter what happens to us, no matter how others treat us, we will not just, not just lay down and let people walk on us, but we will serve the Lord. So no matter what you do to me, I will serve the Lord. No matter if you cheat me, if you lie to me, I'm not going to like it, but I will serve the Lord. And if God wants integrity from me, then that's what I'll aim for. And we'll see that God rewards Jacob's integrity as this story moves on and, and kind of passively ends up kind of punishing Laban's uh, lack of integrity. So let's get back to it. Jacob, however... Uh, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, and he made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all of the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, 
they made it in front of the branches. And they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but he made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. What a weird, like, face those animals. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So this reminds me of my ninth grade science fair project. I studied the genetics of fruit flies by selectively breeding them and tracking their eye color. And it was as gross as it sounds. <laughs> I had, my, I'm sure my, my mom just loved me for this. I had beakers of fruit flies like all over the house. And, uh, and I, ha- I started with this, this, you know, starter kit, I guess, of fruit flies. And, and I separated them into more and more beakers as they had babies to, to kind of figure out which eye colors were dominant and which were recessive and how frequently each eye color showed up in the, the next generations. Um, and I had to use this nasty smelling chemical uh, to, to put them to sleep uh, against their will <laughs> and, and look at their eyes under a microscope, um, which is not easy. <laughs> you know, like, it's exactly as it sounds, like it's hard not to like smush them. And, <laughs> and I, I had to let them breed in jars, you know, like as is natural. And, uh, and then I had to, like when they had babies, I, I would move the, the larvae to new jars, and then I did it again over and over. This went on for like a long time. And I kind of wish that all I had to do was like put something in front of them during like mating season that was like the color that I wanted, and then poof, like the next generations would have the right eye color. You know, like, I feel like Jacob kind of has this genetics thing figured out with magical sticks. Obviously, that's not how this works. We know this, right? We, we, we have the benefit of hindsight looking back. We're like, okay, that doesn't work. Like, I'm not sure what he was doing there, but that's not how, like, the world works. That's not science. And probably what happened here is that Jacob used a folk tradition of his time, like a home remedy, and... and and it assumed that the conditions during breeding, like what the animals could see, would influence what kind of animals were born. Now, if Jacob's going to build an inheritance for himself, he has to figure out some way to get single-colored animals to produce spotted and speckled young. And, and you know, assuming he wasn't a, a leading geneticist or, or familiar with a Punnett square, you can't really blame him for trying something weird. He's got to try something. He, he, he needs to figure something out uh, to try to make this work. And looking back, we know that this isn't the science of it. We know how, that this isn't how gene- genetics work. So we know that Jacob must be successful for some other reason. We know, Jacob might not have known at the time, but we know that it wasn't magical striped sticks that led to Jacob's success. He may not have realized it yet, but God was taking care of him. Even when his circumstances were stacked up against him, God was taking care of him. And so during these years, Jacob starts to learn the value of hard work. 
Now remember, you know, the description we get earlier, you know, like Esau was rugged and he had like the hands of a worker and Jacob had like baby hands, right? It's soft skin. And, and so we get this idea, they get this impression that Jacob isn't super familiar with hard work as he grows up. Um, Jacob starts to learn that hard work has value. You know, the stick thing didn't do much, but we do see that his hard work helped. It's, you know, the, the text said that he watched the animals, right? He watched, uh, you know, which ones had striped or speckled babies, and he kept breeding those animals to increase the odds of them having babies that would belong to him. And since, we know that since there were already striped and speckled animals in Laban's flock, remember he had to remove them, to, he took them away, we know that they were already existed, so we know that some of the animals that were there must have carried the genetics to be able to produce spotted and speckled animals, um, And so Jacob identifies them. He kind of watches what's going on. He sees which ones are having the right kinds of babies and he selectively breeds them together. It was kind of like a 1984 scenario, right? Where he's selectively breeding the right animals together away from the weaker animals. Uh, You know, know, I think here that the ones that he identifies as stronger are the ones that would produce the right kind of offspring. And so he breeds the stronger animals together and away from the weaker animals so that they would increase the chances of having babies that would belong to him and not not to Laban. So Jacob was the victim of Laban's tricks. He was a victim of Laban's manipulation. But instead of embracing a victim identity, he got to work. He tried stuff. You know, he tried a weird thing with the sticks. um, But then he also kept an eye on stuff and, and kind of honestly had kind of some rudimentary genetic, you know, type therapy to, to you know, not therapy is the wrong word, but like a genetic idea to, to try to figure out how to increase his chances. He, he worked hard for this. Um, and listen, change is hard enough, but when I see myself as a victim, when I embrace the identity of, of, as a victim, it is almost impossible. Uh, change is the last thing on my mind when all I can think of is how other people have victimized me. And so Jacob had to move out of the, the, the victim identity and embrace the change God was making and the work that he needed to do uh, in order to be part of the change that God was making. So continuing into the next chapter, into chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. I feel like that's an understatement. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers uh, and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah. To, oh, hey, he remembered that Leah was his wife. Uh, he sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. That's, we just learned about that. That's new information. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. So Laban's attitude toward Jacob changed. God's attitude toward Jacob hasn't changed. I think that's important. I mean, no matter how many bad things Jacob has done, God has remained consistent with him. You know, in spite of his actions, whether they were good or bad, Jacob's sins haven't ruined God's promise. The promise that God made to him at the beginning is the promise that God's making again right now, reiterating it uh, once again. 
Laban changes all the time. Laban changed his mind about which daughter Jacob could marry. Uh, He changed his attitude toward Jacob. He changed Jacob's wages 10 times over the course of six years. And look, Jacob is changing too. Jacob is, is putting in the work. Instead of looking for easy shortcuts to blessing like he used to, he's finally acknowledging God's role in his success. So before we can embrace the change that God is calling us to make, we have to realize, like Jacob did, that God always keeps his promises. You know, God made a promise to Abraham, and we, it, it might not happen as quickly as we hope it will, but God always keeps his promises. We can look back and see how God was working through these situations to bring his promise about, to keep the promise that he made to his people. Continuing on. If he said, Laban, uh, if he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So Jacob explains to Leah and Rachel how he got so many animals from their father. He, he didn't cheat Laban with tricks or, you know, magical striped sticks. Uh, God provided. You know, Jacob at this point realized, God did this, not me. And, and if he had been di- dishonest, if he had been cheating Laban, um, maybe his wives would have sided with their father and refused to go with him. Uh, for whatever reason, Jacob comes clean here and, and you know, gives his, his wives the truth. Um, and, and honestly, depending on when Jacob had this dream that he talks about, um, he, it may have been God all along that, that led him to set the terms with Laban in the first place and ask for the, the spotted or, or, and speckled animals. Um, you know, if he had had this dream before uh, the six years, before Laban asked, you know, made this arrangement with him, he could well have seen God getting ready to provide for him and God showing him here is the path to blessing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of counterintuitive to choose your wages that, that normally would be such a small portion, but just trust me. Um, I like to think that that's how it happened. The text doesn't say when he had this dream exactly. It just says it was during breeding season. I like to think that it was beforehand. Um, But either way, no matter when it was, it is clear that God's provision is better than doing things my way. Instead of trying to steal an inheritance like he did as a kid, this time, Jacob leaves it up to God to provide. Instead of trying to take more than his share, he trusts God to do what's right, even when Laban keeps mistreating him. You know, we we saw in this section, we learned that new information, right, that Laban keeps changing the terms of their agreement over the years. You know, you don't get all the spotted and streaked and speckled, you just get the spotted ones. But then 
it, you know, all the babies were spotted ones. And he's like, oh, well, we can't do that anymore. They're all the spotted babies. So now just the streaked ones. Well, th- but then God changed it to just the streaked ones. So God provided, no matter how many times Laban tried to, to rip Jacob off, God provided for him. And in the end, Jacob walks off with his rightful share and most of Laban's profit margin. God is a better provider than we are. God is better at it than we are. And Jacob had to learn that. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Man, Laban, champion among men. Not only has he sold us, good job, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and he, he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram to go to, his father, uh, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So as it turns out, Jacob didn't actually need to convince his wives to to leave. Uh, They already believe him. They're ready to support him. Not because of what Laban did to Jacob, but because of what Laban did to them. He cheated his own daughters out of their inheritance. So traditionally, the husband's family paid a a bride price to the bride's family. Not to purchase her, but to be held in trust in case it was needed to provide for the wife if the husband left her uh, or or if he died, if she became widowed. There there was money there to to take care of her economically uh, that the husband's family paid. And, And Jacob didn't pay a bride price. Jacob didn't really have anything when he showed up. Um, and, and, and so he worked instead. He worked seven years for each marriage, as it turned out. Uh, so the equivalent of seven years of fair wages should have been set aside for each daughter by their father. Laban didn't, that was the bride price, Jacob's work. The seven years for each woman was the bride price and Laban's responsibility was to set that aside for his daughters, for their inheritance, for their security on their behalf and he doesn't do that. He, he keeps it. He keeps all of the, the fruits of, of Jacob's labor uh, all for himself. He stole their bride price and he kept it permanently. So essentially what they're saying is true Essentially, Laban sold his daughters to Jacob. Not a a great move. He sold his daughters to Jacob, and so Leah and Rachel are comfortable claiming Jacob's increase in wealth for their own family, since their father owed it to them anyway. It it, it would have been theirs as inheritance anyway, and so they're like, yeah, this, that makes sense. You know, I don't have any problem. No matter how you got it, Jacob, it doesn't matter. He owes it to us. That's cool. We can keep it. And so for Jacob, change took a long time, 20 years of time to, to slowly start to embrace the change that God was making in him. It took suffering through difficult circumstances, being cheated by Laban over and over, 
raising 12 kids with four women over seven years. Holy cow. And, and it took support from the people who loved him, right? Like, like his wives in, in this instance, Rachel and Leah taking his side over their father. And so embracing change uh, comes when we rely on support from loved ones through our difficulties over time. We're not alone in this. God has set it up so that we don't have to go it alone. Change is super hard. It's almost impossible when we try to do it alone. So we embrace the change that God's trying to make in us, but we do it with support. And we do it recognizing that it takes time. And we do it recognizing that sometimes the most difficult circumstances are the things that actually move us forward the fastest to change into what God wants us to be. And before you get too excited for Jacob, look again at verse 20. Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. Remember, Jacob's name be- means deceiver. So it, like this says, Jacob, Jacobed. <laughs> he pulled a Jacob, right? He deceived Laban again. I mean, we thought you were done with this, man. We thought you had moved, pa- you'd embraced the change, you'd moved past. No, he, he made a lot of progress. That's, it's good. He made a lot of progress towards changing to be who God wanted him to be, but he's not quite there yet. He's still deceiving people. And, and now one of his wives is stealing things. <laughs> Rachel stole from her, her father. And Steve will talk about that next week. But even though there have been some positive signs, you have to wonder if Jacob has really changed that much. He's starting to learn that change is possible when we trust God, but he's still fighting against his sin nature. Just like you and me, by the way. This is the same situation we find ourselves in all the time. It's a constant struggle. Um, Here's how Paul describes it in the most confusing way possible in Romans chapter 7. He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Thank you, Paul. Please give me a summary. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can hear Jacob in this. I want to do the right thing. Especially in the story we saw today, he's he's coming around. I want to do the right thing. I want to be the man God is calling me to be. I want to change, but man, it's so hard. It's so hard to change. I feel like I can't do it. I, I, I take one step forward and two steps back, and I keep messing up all the time. And Jacob is still concerned, even throughout this story, he's still concerned with his inheritance, but God is concerned with his promise. I mean, an inheritance is part of God's promise to Jacob, but God's concern for Jacob is his promise. So God sees to it that Jacob returns to the promised land with a large family and more than enough to provide for them. And God has been good to Jacob even when life was unfair. 
God honored his integrity and his hard work. God provided more for him than Jacob ever could have gotten for himself. God has been by Jacob's side the whole time. And I don't know if a person can really change. I don't know. But I do know that God can really change a person. When we stop trying to force it and we embrace the change that God is making in us. I don't know if I can change on my own, but I have seen God change people again and again and again. Let's pray. Father, I'm happy that Jacob's finally starting to change. God, I'm, I'm even happier that it doesn't seem like you made him figure it out on his own. I, I'm so happy that I don't have to be in the driver's seat of the change in my life. Father, it, I just pray that you would help us embrace the change that you want to make in us. I, I pray that, that you would help us to get out of your way and get on board with where you're taking us, with the things you want from us and the things you want for us. Thank you for your promises and thank you that we're not alone to, to try to make them come true. But God, that when we rely on you, you provide good things. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. So in the New Testament, Jesus makes it clear that the, the kind of change he's looking for from us, um, it's not just small adjustments to, to do better, uh, but he's looking for us to become whole new people. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. We can't make the change God asks on our own. We can't recreate ourselves. And that's why God sent his son to die on a cross in our place, to open the door for us to be changed forever. God has promised to change us through his Holy Spirit. We just have to embrace the change that he's making. So when the tray passes by this morning, take a set of cups and hold on to them until we can take communion together. His body given for us and his blood poured out for our sins. Well, as you might expect, Laban doesn't let Jacob go easily especially since his household gods went missing. So we'll pick up the story right here next week. Uh, why don't we stand and sing one more song this morning as we're dismissed.